Hear the word of the Lord, Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong, it had great iron teeth, it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A steam of fi stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and language should, ser should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel... My spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn was made, made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and trample it, and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall rise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. 
But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the 1986 season opener between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Washington Redskins, the Philadelphia Eagles were having a hard time of it on a certain drive. In the plays, it was a second down. Although they had a number of plays, they kept getting penalties. And so it kept being second down and second down and second down. And in all of these plays, they had managed to gain negative 30 yards. And so they were facing second and 40 deep in their own territory. And so they decided to do something which used to be quite common in football, but it's not very common anymore. They decided to do a quick kick. The quarterback... Cunningham was actually quite a good punter, and so on second and 40, in order to flip the field position, he thought he could kick it over all of the defenders and they would at least gain field position, catching everybody by surprise. It didn't work out that way. He kicked the ball into the back of one of his linemen, and it did go over the line, but not very far, and it fell right into the hands of one of the defenders about midfield. So this is a famous play perhaps the worst drive ever in NFL history. He punted on second down. Now, I bring that up because I have preached through Daniel before, many years before, maybe decades before. But what I did was I punted on second down. After I got to chapter 6, I said, okay, it's all over. We're not going to continue in this series. Let's do something else. And the reason was is because I was intimidated by the rest of Daniel. Because the first six chapters, they're stories that every Sunday school child knows. And the last six chapters are strange visions that confuse the greatest Old Testament scholars. And so I did what I thought was the noble thing at the time. I punted on second down. Now, some decades later, maybe not as wise as I used to be, I'm not going to punt on second down. But I do not promise to score but I do promise at least to try to run out the downs. And we're going to start this section today, which you'll notice is very, very different. You see, Daniel up to this point was the interpreter of dreams of other people. He was the interpreter of other people's visions. Now, all of a sudden, the roles are switched and he is getting visions. For the first time, he speaks in first person. And this is, curiously, this is the last part of the Aramaic section. The book is unusual. Part of the, the first chapter is in Hebrew, a couple verses in chapter 2 Hebrew. It switches to Aramaic, a close cousin of Hebrew, and it goes to Aramaic until the end of this chapter. And then it picks up with Hebrew again. So this is the last of the Aramaic sections. It's the first of the vision sections, and it is the first time where Daniel speaks up in first person. Now, it's not chronological. The first six chapters were chronological. 
The last seven chapters go in chronological order, but there's overlap. And you will notice that this begins in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar. Now, we've already gotten rid of Belshazzar, haven't we? In the first six chapters, we already got rid of him when Darius the Mede took over the kingdom and Belshazzar was killed. So this, is, this took place back when Belshazzar, the, the king of Babylon, was still reigning. And this was Daniel's dream. And so what we're going to do is look at this dream, because this chapter is divided into the dream and the interpretation of the dream. So we have the dream and the interpretation of the dream. But then, once we hear the interpretation of the dream, we're probably going to be asking ourselves, but we want a little more information. And that's where we're going to be skating on a little bit thinner ice, but try to give some, some more information about the meaning of this dream. Now, the dream was about four beasts. The four beasts rose out of the great sea, and this great sea was churned up by the four winds from the four cardinal points of the earth. So the wind came from every direction. It churned up the sea, and these beasts came out of the sea. In the Old Testament, the sea is not a good place. The sea is a chaotic place. If you go back to creation, there was chaotic water, and God commanded order out of that chaotic watery mess. And then we have a chaotic watery mess here, and out of this chaos come these four beasts. The first beast was a combination of a, a lion and an eagle. So the king of the beasts and the king of the birds, it was the combination of these two. And he became more like a man at one point. He lost the wings, he stood on his feet, had the mind of a man. Then we have the second beast. He looks like, it's a little bit hard to know how to translate this, it said it was raised up on one side. So he may have been an asymmetrical beast with one side of him uh, bigger than the other side. Or it may have been that he was lifting up one of his feet and he was ready to take a step uh, towards something or another. And he was munching on three ribs. So apparently he had dominated three other somethings, three other creatures, and he was munching on their ribs. The third beast was like a leopard, which is one of the fastest land animals out there. But it had an extra help. It was turbocharged with not two, but four wings on its back. And this is, this is the fastest of the beasts here. And he also had four heads. And these heads received dominion, it says. Now, this received dominion, you see this all through Daniel, that God gave that people received. So, received dominion. And then, we have the fourth beast. Now, the fourth beast, as, uh, as somebody said, it defies zoological categorization. It's so monstrous that it can't really be the, the, the compared to any animal in particular. It is such a horrific sort of beast, it doesn't look like any animal in particular. It's got iron teeth, it's got stomping feet, it's got ten horns. So this is the most horrible of the beasts. And Daniel was transfixed because this beast had ten horns, and then another horn came up, an eleventh horn, that displaced three of the horns. And Daniel was really transfixed with that detail of the vision. In verse 8, it says... He says, I considered the horns. And here, another one came up. It displaced the horns. And this horn was, was horrific as well. It, it, it had eyes, a horn with eyes. And uh, it was, had a mouth, and it was speaking great things. So this, this last beast is very odd, very bizarre, and very frightening. Now, that's the vision. 
But then something else happens. While all this is going on with the beasts, in verse 9, something else happens. All of a sudden, thrones were placed. It doesn't say who placed them, but thrones were set up. And the one who was ancient with reference to his days. Now, we have made this into a title, and we sang a song about it. But this expression appears only here. And it means the one who is ancient with respect to days. Another one, in other words, the very, very old one. That's what it is, the very, very old one. We, now we've capitalized it, we turned it into a title for God, and it is, as we'll see, but it refers here to one who, with respect to days, was very ancient. We say that, don't we? We say, well, he's up there in years. Well, this man was ancient in days, this, this personage. And this ancient of days took his seat, and he is dazzlingly white. His clothing was white, his hair was white like wool. But his throne was an unusual throne. His throne was fiery flames, and it had wheels. So it looks more like a chariot, a flaming chariot, than a stationary throne. And a stream of fire issued out of the throne and came out from before him. And then he has... Thousands of thousands and ten thousands of ten thousands are standing before him. And then we find out that this is a judgment scene. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. Now, this horn, that, that, that's, that thrones get set up, the Ancient of Days is ready for judgment. But the horn won't shut up. In verse 11. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. Verse 11. And as I looked, the beast, and this horn was part of that beast, the beast was killed, its body destroyed, given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So all the beasts are taken out in a sense, but they all sort of hang on in some way or another for time. And then the vision shifts again, and it's back to the throne. So it goes beasts, thrones, beasts, thrones. So this this vision goes back and forth. And by the way, you'll see that in the book of Revelation. Heaven, earth, heaven, earth. And here we have in the night visions, in verse 13, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Now that expression, like a son of man, means that he was like a human. He looked like a human. However, he was using divine transportation. Because he came with the clouds of heaven. And in ancient Near Eastern literature and in the scripture itself, this is how God rides. It's the, it's the transportation that God uses. He's the cloud rider. And so here we have a cloud rider, a divine figure, who looks like a human. So there's this unusual combination, a human-looking divine cloud rider. And he comes up to the Ancient of Days. And it's clear that the Ancient of Days represents God, but now we have another divine personage who looks like a man. And this one comes near to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And then here, once again, we have these verbs that are in passive. Was given, um, and here it says, to him was given dominion. And this is the divine passive. We could say, God gave him dominion. Gave him dominion, glory, a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, 
which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So that's the vision. So we have beasts, we have throne, ancient of days, we have fourth beast destroyed, ancient of days on the throne again, but a divine human looking one approaches, the throne is given an eternal kingdom by God. That's the vision. Now, Daniel, Daniel was alarmed by all this. And if you look at his reaction, we find in verse 15, as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. This is, this is, diff, this is unusual for Daniel, isn't it? Daniel's the, the dream interpreter, right? Daniel's the one who goes and says, God, what does this dream mean? And God reveals the dream to him. And now Daniel gets a dream and he's alarmed because he doesn't know what the dream means. And so what does he do? And this is a, a sort of interesting kind of uh, situation here. And we all understand this kind of situation because when we have dreams, in some ways we're passive, but we're also active in our dreams. And we do things in our dreams to try to figure out our dreams. And so Daniel does a logical thing. He goes up to one of the thousands of thousands or ten thousands of ten thousands and as it were kind of taps him on the shoulder in the dream and says, can you explain to me what's going on here? In verse 16, I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. And so here we have the interpretation. And this is very convenient for us. We have the interpretation. He told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall, out, shall arise out of the earth. Now, wait a minute. Didn't they arise out of the what? They arose out of the sea. And now we have earth and sea are, are equalized here. They're identified. So the, the chaotic sea that's churned up is actually representing the earth. It's chaos and, and churned up. So they arose out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. That's the interpretation. Four kingdoms, but the saints get it all. Four kingdoms come out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High, they receive the kingdom and possess it forever and ever. And if we've been following along in Daniel, we should say, I remember something like this. Daniel chapter 2. Do you remember the statue vision that, that Nebuchadnezzar had? He saw a statue with four parts to it. He had a head of gold, this statue, and it had a chest of silver and a middle of, of uh, bronze, and then it had legs of iron and then feet of iron and clay. And what happened? There was cut out without human hands of a mountain, a rock, a stone. And that stone was hurled at that statue and it was pulverized and an eternal kingdom was set up. So we should say, now wait, we already have some information about that. This is sounding familiar. But notice something. In, in the first vision, they were shining, weren't they? They were beautiful. Head of gold, chest of silver, loins of bronze, legs of iron. This was a gleaming, shining figure. But now what are they? These kingdoms are what? They're monstrous. They're beastly. They're terrible. And so here we have some more information about these kingdoms. These kingdoms are glittery and shining and glorious on the outside, but they're monstrous. They're beastly. And here, without explaining what happened to the kingdoms, the interpreter just concluded, he jumped right to the end, four kingdoms, but the saints get the kingdom that lasts forever. But he doesn't say what happened to those kingdoms. Now, interesting, there's something that happened here, and I don't know if you noticed it or not. In the vision of the 
the one, the cloud rider, the human-looking, godlike cloud rider who approaches the Ancient of Days, what does he get? What does he receive? A kingdom. But now the interpretation says, who gets the kingdom? The saints of the Most High get the kingdom. So who gets the kingdom? Does the, the one, like a son of man who rides the clouds, get the kingdom? Or do the saints of the Most High get the kingdom? Well, both of them get the kingdom. So in other words, there is an identification of the people of God, the saints of the Most High, with this human-like cloud rider. And so when the, the human-like cloud rider gets the kingdom, guess who else gets the kingdom along with him? All of the people of the Most High. Now, Daniel continued to be fascinated with the fourth beast. He was really, really interested in this fourth beast because it was so terrible. And so he wanted to know more. In verse 19, Then I desire to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns and the other horn that came up, and so on. So, verse 21, As I looked... So here it's like the, the movie begins to roll again. So there's this interlude where he, he asks a, a bystander, what's this all about? He starts getting the information. He says, okay, I get that, but, but what about that fourth beast? And what about those horns? Tell me about that. And so it's kind of like, okay, roll it. And so now it, it starts again in verse 21. As I looked, this horn, was made, this horn made war with the saints. Wait, the saints just... Just were talked about they were going to receive a kingdom, but now this fourth beast is making war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came, judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. So this fourth beast is going to get taken out, and the saints are going to possess the kingdom when the Ancient of Days shows up. Then he explains more. Verse 23 goes back to explanation. Thus he said, Fourth beast, fourth kingdom, different from the others. Trample, it'll break down, it'll break into pieces. And then he says the ten horns were ten kings. And then there's another king that shall arise. He'll be different. He'll speak words against the Most High. He will make war against the saints of the Most High. And he will then all of a sudden be cut off halfway through his career. And here we have this mysterious time, times, and half a time. So it's time, and then two times, and then if we're following an arithmetic progression, we would think one time, two times, what should, what should follow? Three times. Or if we're following a geometric progression, it would be one time, two times, then what? Four times, okay? And if we get one time, two times, four times, then we have seven times, which is a complete number of times. But here we have, all of a sudden, that third one gets cut off. It's only half a time. He gets only halfway there, halfway through his journey, three and a half gets cut off. And then the court shall sit, his dominion taken away, consumed. And then once again, the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness, verse 27, uh, under the whole earth shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. All dominions shall serve and obey him. So we keep getting this same message, don't we? Four kingdoms. Last one's horrible, and then the Ancient of Days sets in things right, and the saints get the kingdom, even though the people of God have to suffer for a time. Now, Daniel gets to the end of this, and he's already gotten an explanation. And what did he do? He didn't say, oh, great, that clears everything up for me. 
In verse 28, he says, Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So even though he got the info that he was looking for, he wasn't happy about this, and he wasn't settled. He was unsettled completely. That's it. That's the dream, and that's the interpretation of the dream. Now, we're probably like Daniel, aren't we? We want to know more. We want to raise our hand and say, yeah, but I get the overall picture, but, but who are these people? What are these kingdoms? The meaning of the dream in is the same as the meaning in chapter 2. Very easy. Four kings fall. God sets up his kingdom. That's the meaning. That's the information we get. But our curiosity and the rest of the Bible lead us to ask questions about how this was fulfilled or will be fulfilled. But I want to say something at the outset, and this applies not only to this chapter, but to the rest of Daniel. And that is, the more we go out beyond the authoritative interpretation that we're given here, the more tentative we should be in our interpretation. Because there are many who are very dogmatic about what these things mean, but they contradict each other. And so we ought to be very careful about insisting on this interpretation or that interpretation beyond the authoritative one we've been given. For example, just give me, give, let me give you an example. People have identified the little horn, the little horn, with the Greek ruler Antiochus IV, also called Epiphanes, a Roman emperor, the Vatican, the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope, Donald Trump, a good guy, some have said, no, it's actually a good guy. We've gotten him wrong all these years. He's actually a good guy. Um, the beast of Revelation 13, the Antichrist. And those are just some that I was able to get very quickly, looking up at what, what are some of the interpretations. And that fact ought to make us pause, shouldn't it? If some people, many people have come to vastly different conclusions, then we ought to be careful about what we say. Now, we can... Uh, we can put two and two together from different Bible texts. From chapter 2, we know that the head of gold was, was which kingdom? Babylon, right. Okay, so if this lines up, then we would think that this first beast was Babylon. And also, in Jeremiah chapter 49, verses 19 to 22, we have a description of Nebuchadnezzar, who is described as a lion, and he is described as an eagle. And so, okay, we can put that together. We can also think back to chapter 4 and say, well, he was beastly, but then he got more humane after he was humbled. And so we can say, well, that, that lines up pretty well with Nebuchadnezzar, that first beast. And then if we follow church history, or rather history, ancient history, the second beast would be the Medo-Persian Empire that took over after Babylon. The third beast would be the Greek Empire that conquered the Persian Empire, and the fourth beast would be the Roman Empire, which conquered the Greek Empire. And that works out pretty well. And with some, with some ingenuity and creativity, we can see that the details line up very nicely, because here we have this asymmetrical beast, bigger on one side than the other. Well, the Persians were more powerful than the Medes, for example. And the Greeks, with Alexander the Great, they were amazingly fast. So we have the leopard with the, 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 the four wings on its back. And then we have Rome that was so powerful and crushed all nations before it. And so it lines up pretty well. However, there are other plausible identifications that other scholars have come up with that line up pretty well as well. 
And that's the difficulty here. Now, what do we have? What do we have here in this vision that we didn't have in chapter 2? And I want us to focus on that. And that's this. We have a new aspect. And the new aspect is that God gives his kingdom to the human-like divine person who rides on the clouds and to his people. That's a new thing. We didn't get that from chapter 2. This is new. Now, who is this? This human-like divine person. And the most ancient Jewish interpretation is that it's the Messiah. And so when we come to Christian interpretation, we're not making this up. This is something we inherited from Jewish interpreters, that it is the Messiah. And that's the most ancient Jewish and Christian identification of this human-like person with the Messiah. But we have better than that. We have a confirmation. But let me just read you from John, John chapter 12, or is it 13? John 12, 34. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So what were they assuming? That the Son of Man and the Christ, that's the same person. But they were confused about him being lifted up. And so that was the interpretation of Jesus' day. And Jesus explicitly applied this text to himself. We already read this, but let me refer to it again. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, this is the trial before the high priest. And when the high priest said to Jesus, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to, to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. What's he saying? I am that divine human cloud rider. And because he said that, they said, he's condemned. You all heard it from your, your, with your own ears. He's condemned himself by identifying himself with that person. Now, um, here we have a, a solid identification of, of this vision. But I want you to notice something. Jesus said, that you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Coming on the clouds from where to where? From heaven to earth. But that's not what the, we have in the vision in Daniel, is it? We have the, the Son of Man coming on the clouds to the throne of God. And so this is the opposite direction. We have the Son of Man coming to the throne of God, not coming from the throne of God to earth. So what could we say about this vision back in Daniel 7? What event in the life of the Son of Man is this? It does not look like it is his return. Rather, it looks like it is his ascension. It is his reception before the throne of God. Having died, having risen, having ascended, he is presented before God. And being presented before God, redeemed humanity is also presented before God. Being presented before God, having made purification for sins, having risen from the dead, having conquered over death, having ascended on high, he is given an eternal kingdom, and all those who are his receive that kingdom with him. Now, there's still, there's still a chronological question here, and, and that is, if you look at Daniel 7, it sure looks like the last judgment, doesn't it? The books are open, the thrones are set up, the nations are standing there before him. 
And so we have, on the one hand, we have the ascension, and we also have, right next to it, we have final judgment. So which is it? Is, is this a final judgment scene? Is this the day of judgment? Or is this an ascension scene? Well, we should understand that sometimes in prophecy, those kind of questions are hard to answer because different events are, are put next to each other. But they're put next to each other because they're related to each other. And, and what does the ascension have to do? What does the ascension have to do with the final judgment? Are those two related? Well, in fact, they are. Because all nations, and if, that means, if that's all nations, that means all persons are going to have to stand before the throne of the Ancient of Days, and the books will be opened. And the question is, is there anyone there? Is there anyone present who can help us out on that day? Will there be anyone there who can vouch for us, who will speak up for us, who can say a word for us in spite of all that is written in the books that will be opened on that day? And the answer is, because of the ascension, because this divine human person who came in on the clouds was presented before the throne, that there is one who can answer for the saints on high in that great day. You see, these two scenes are closely related because Christ's presence at God's right hand is our hope on that day of judgment. It is our only hope on that day of judgment. And so, before that day of judgment comes, then we need to make sure that we have a man at God's right hand who will speak for us. We need to make sure that there is one who can answer for everything that is found in, in the books that are written about our lives. One who can, can speak on our behalf. And because Christ has ascended on high, there is that one at God's right hand for all who believe in him. We sing a hymn about this, don't we? Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. The great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no one can bid me thus depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and seek him there who made an end to all my sin. The sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free because God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, the perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. Can you sing that song? Is Christ your representative at God's right hand? Is there that man, that divine man who will plead for you? Well, if so, then you have nothing to fear on that day of judgment. If not, I urge you to go to Christ now because you don't want to be left alone on that day, vouching for yourself. But rather, when the books are opened, there's another book that we find in Revelation, and it's the book of life.
and it's the book of life of the Lamb, where all who belong to him, all who trust in him, their names are there. Let's pray. Our God, David or Daniel was trembling before this vision. And I don't know if it's because the beasts were so terrible or the idea of standing before the throne was so terrible. But the idea of standing before you is really the most terrifying thing we can imagine because we recognize that we're sinners. But we thank you for Jesus who died, Jesus who rose, Jesus who ascended, Jesus who is presented and remains at your right hand to intercede for us always. And we know that no one, no one can condemn any who are found in him. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we take comfort, O oh God, and we believe in him, that we might be identified with him, that we might be hid in him, and that we might receive a kingdom with him. We pray in his name.